Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit PleasurePodcasts.com. Welcome back to Private Parts Unknown, a podcast about love and sexuality around the world. I'm Courtney Kosak, and today we're going to talk about motherhood. More specifically, regretting it. That's right. It is a controversial point of view that nobody wants to talk about. No one wants to think about mothers feeling that way. And most likely mothers don't want to feel regret. But still, because of societal pressure or partner pressure, it still happens. So we are going to do what we do best on this show and talk about this taboo topic in a candid and nuanced way. And our guest is an expert. She's an Israeli scholar on the subject who literally wrote the book on it. It's called Regretting Motherhood. My name is Orna Donat. Uh, I'm a doctor of sociology and anthropology. I teach in uh, several universities and colleges here in Israel uh, about this topic and more. I wrote two books. One of them was translated into, I think, 16 languages and countries and it's about regretting motherhood. It is based on a study that I conducted between 2008 and 2013, uh, within which I interviewed women, 23 women, five of them are grandmothers who look back and say, for me, it was a mistake to become a mother. Orna's book is fascinating. I am so honored to have her on the show. No matter how you feel about parenthood, I think this interview offers a really interesting perspective. So without further ado, let's get into it. I'm so excited we get to have this conversation. Just full disclosure, I'm 38 and like this is like a very kind of important question that I'm asking myself. And my sister-in-law actually read this book and I remember her talking to me about it. And then I found it as well. And I was like, oh my God, it is such like a rare piece of research. So thank you for that. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. It's really very special for me to understand that I sat for so many years and wrote it and then someone out there, and these days also in Japan, in Brazil, in China, in the Netherlands, so many countries right. are, are reading it. It's really special for me. I couldn't even dream about it, truly. So I guess to tee up the conversation, the book is called Regretting Motherhood, and it's based on your research study. So let's define regret and then how that differs from ambivalence. Okay. I guess there are a lot of terms for uh, a lot of ways to describe regret. And I also read it, of course, in different studies. And I decided in my study to relate to it as I had three criterias for it. 
The first one is uh, self-identifying by the women themselves. I published like a reading for this study and I I didn't call it, uh, you know, hardships in motherhood or something. I, I, you know, it was really straightforward, regretting motherhood. Uh, in the, at the beginning, it was regretting parenthood, but never mind, regretting motherhood. And women approached to me and identified themselves. It's not so um, easy to identify yourself as regretting mother. So if they did it, they know mm-hmm. what they are talking about. So that was the first one. The second one, I asked each and every one of them, if you could go back in time with the knowledge and the experience you have today, would you become mother once again? And all of them in different ways told me, no, mm-hmm. I would never do it again. And uh, the third was I asked about advantages and disadvantages. And some of them talked about advantages, but all of them said that also if they have advantages, the disadvantages are overweighting. And some of them said, for me, there are no advantages at all in being a mother. So, and regret, I relate to it, you know, in in English, you can uh, relate to it in two different ways two different ways. One of them is I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry. But the uh-huh. other one is if I could go back again, I would do it differently. And in Hebrew, the meaning of it is just the, the second one. It's that something that if you could do it again, you would not do it the same. So this is how I relate to regret as something that you look back, you ponder on it, you imagine the other, the, you know, the road not taken. And you think that it was the, the road you did take was a mistake by your definition. So all of the mothers related to them becoming mothers as a kind of mistake, something that they, in retrospect, they wouldn't have done it. And it's not the same as ambivalence in my point of view, because Women can experience many, many things towards motherhood. There is a kind of a spectrum. And Uh I think many of the mothers, if not a lot of them, or (laughs) most of them, experience some kind of ambivalency these days. Like, I love the children, but uh, I also uh, suffer sometimes. I enjoy it. I hate it. I I, uh, miss them. I want them to go away all this kind of mixture feelings, but there is a structure to the feeling. It's like I'm experiencing hardships, but Uh the smile of the child is worthwhile. Everything. Like it's a kind of a balance they have. Mothers who I interviewed don't have this kind of balance. They don't have the but. Yeah. It's not that I'm, I'm suffering, but it means the world to me. They're saying I'm suffering, end point. (laughs) which is an unpopular position to take, right? Like we punish women (laughs) who feel that way. So this is, like I said at the beginning, like very unique research. And I'm curious if you could kind of share like how you got interested in this topic and how you decided to go down this path research-wise. Yeah, of course. Uh, In 2003, I started my first study uh, about women and men here in Israel, Israeli Jewish people who don't want to be parents. It was the first one here in Israel, in Hebrew as well. 
Uh, it was the first one, and I published it as a book in 2010. And there was one sentence that kept troubling me that went along with me. And that's the certain promise that they talked about. The certain promise that everybody are saying you will surely regret it. Like everybody is trying to frighten you by saying to you that if you will not become a parent, you will surely regret it. Uh-huh. And as a as a sociologist and as a feminist and uh, like I'm a political woman, this is the kind of blood that is running through my veins. <laughs> I, I related to it as political usage of emotions uh, that society uses regret in order to align us into motherhood. Uh-huh. So I it, it troubled me, and I I thought to myself that I want to write about this triangle between regret parenthood, not parenthood, and society. So I, I, it started like really wide and I narrowed it because due to restrictions in my university. And as I said, I, it was at the initial point, it was about regretting parenthood. I also interviewed 10 men who regret becoming fathers. But at the end, I wrote only about women. And I asked myself, why don't I hear anything? about the possibility that women who become mothers might also regret it. Why this frightening is all, all the time towards women who don't want to become mothers. Uh-huh. There's something wrong in this picture because even before I started my study, I was so sure, positive that there are women who regret. You know, all the time we are being told, you must become a mother, it will change your life. And I said, yes. It will change our life. How can it not be that some women might experience it as not a good change in their lives? So let's talk a little bit, because you did start as regretting parenthood, but it seems like we are different towards mothers. So what were the differences that you found between the genders in terms of regretting parenthood? First, I would say that's was one of the reasons why I decided to write at the end only about mothers and women because of the prizes that we pay if we don't become mothers and also if we do become mothers is different. I'm not saying that men don't pay any price if they don't become fathers. They do, but it's lower and less heavier than women. So we are still at the front of this discourse. As I said, I interviewed 10 men, so I can't really say something to generalize it. Uh-huh. But I can I can say that out of uh, 10 men I interviewed, eight of them said that they didn't want to be uh, fathers and they became fathers because their partner wanted to become a mother. So they wanted to stay with her and they went along with it. And some of them are divorced now and also regret becoming fathers. So, you know, uh, I think that the socialization for men is not, of course, the same as to us. And I think men are being introduced to this field as children, mainly in the discourse of uh, preventing pregnancy. Uh (laughs) Uh, Be careful from it. Uh Uh-huh. Little girls are being pushed with the dolls and take care of them. And we we are the caregivers. And uh, the first meeting of boys with it is be be aware. Uh Uh, So at the initial point, it's different routes regarding this thing. 
Hey privates, you want to start this year off fresh? And I mean really, really fresh? Well, Lumi Deodorant has got you covered. From your pits, to your privates, to your feet. Yes, really, your whole body. Because Lumi is a game-changing whole body deodorant designed by an OBGYN to not only work on pits, but also feet, privates, and everywhere else you get odor. No matter where you use it, Lumi is clinically proven to block odor all day long, all thanks to its one-of-a-kind pH-optimized formula. And they have got over 200 175,000 five-star reviews to show for it. So make the switch to Lumi and you will unlock your freshest start ever and your freshest butt ever too. (laughs) That's for real. And as a special offer, new customers get $5 off Lumi starter pack with our exclusive code and link. Just use code PPU at lumideodorant.com. That is L-U-M-E-D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T.com. I freaking love Lumi. I am absolutely obsessed with the toasted coconut and the clean tangerine scents. I use the solid stick deodorant every day and I also love the wipes. They are wonderful for traveling and camping and I don't do a lot of camping, but just keeping yourself fresh when it's super hot out or when you're on the go. And it has been kind of a game changer for me. So I highly recommend you give Lumi a try. Lumi is seriously safe to use anywhere on your body, pits, under boobs, thigh folds, belly buttons, butt cracks, vulvas, and feet. It's clinically proven to block odor all day and control odor for up to 72 hours. How, you may ask? Well, unlike certain deodorants that try to mask odor with a fragrance, Lumi is formulated and powered by mandelic acid to stop odor before it starts. So it's more like a pre-odorant than a deodorant. And it's baking soda free and paraben free, which we love to hear. It's pH balanced for safe use below the belt. And it's clinically proven to control odor better than a shower with soap alone. 12 hours after a shower, the average person has an odor level of 6 out of 10, but with Lumi, the average odor level is a 0 out of 10. So, can't beat that. And Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, and two free products of your choice, like a mini body wash and deodorant wipes, both of which I totally love. And you get free shipping, which I also love. So as a special offer for Private Parts Unknown listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code PPU at lumideodorant.com. That equates to over 40% off your starter pack when you visit lumideodorant.com and use code PPU. 2024 is going to be a whole lot fresher, Privates, and that is all thanks to Lumi. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Explain how you set up the study and how it was conducted and kind of the general setup for it. Okay. So uh, my supervisors at university 
<laughs> uh, went along uh, straightforward. Uh, you know, it was they knew it's going to be uh, something uh, that is unspoken. Also, in other countries, you know, my first study it was not written about it in Israel, but about regretting motherhood, nothing was written about it in the world. I I discovered it along the way. I didn't know it at the oh, beginning. Wow. Yeah, I didn't know uh, because you know the feminist stereotization already wrote about boredom and anger and violence and and the difficulties so many aspects of motherhood but, but it was really surprising for me to understand that nothing was written about regretting motherhood so I, I I discovered it and I um I started to you know say in each and every place which I got to that I'm conducting a study about it but the, the real thing happened when uh, one of the newspapers here in Israel, uh, some journalist heard about my study and she approached me and asked me to write something about it in the newspaper. And it was only my first year. And I said, I, I don't really know what to say yet because I just <laughs> be began. So she told me, just try to write about the unspoken. Uh -huh. So I said, okay, but I want my email address to be published at the end of it so people can approach to me. And 14 parents approached me following this interview. Oh, wow. That was really great for me. And I, because my first book was published in, in Israel, I, I was already known and I was interviewed on radios, show and, and on TV. So I talked about it also there and people just came to me and said, we want to, to be in it. And then how did you, that was those things that you mentioned at the beginning, like if they said that they would go back in time and they wouldn't do it again, that's how you decided if they should be included. Yeah, I, I interviewed 28 mothers but at the study, I included only only 23 because I came to the houses of five more of them and I sat with them and they just talked about the difficulties. But when I asked this question, they said, yeah, I would do it again. So they were not included because I wanted to talk to those who said no. Uh -huh. No, I regret it. So that was something that helped me to understand the differences between the experiences because many of them, they, they did approach me and said, I want to talk to you. And I came, I drove there. I came to their house. Uh -huh. I sat with them for more than an hour and I listened to them. And then when I asked it, they said, no, no, I would do it again. So they are not included. So they were more like balanced. Yeah. They were like yeah. more ambivalent kind yeah. of mothers. Yeah. yeah. So what were some of the most, when you were talking to these 23 women, what were the most striking responses that you got? And what were some of the kind of reasons that they said that they regret it? Their stories were not shocking and they were not dramatic and they were not tragic. These days we can read about kind of the same experiences from mothers who write blogs on Facebook, Instagram, who said uh, it's very hard for me. The only thing that it's different is that their bottom line is different. They say, yeah, I experienced everything that all the mothers are writing about it, or not all of them, but many of them. And for me, the bottom line is that it's not worth it. It's not uh -huh. worthwhile. 
So, uh, you know, I know that many times people expect to hear that the children are problematic and they're not normative and they have problems and special needs and, and you know, all kinds of uh, reasons and excuses for that. But these mothers are coming and saying, no, this is only my subjective experience from motherhood. Uh-huh. And we, are, we all the time look for something very, you know, wow, and, and, and something very big and different and, and, and tragic. It's not the story here. They're just saying, so why did I need it? I don't need it. Uh-huh. Yeah. So why did they tell you that they wound up becoming mothers? What were some of the reasons or, or ways that they wound up making this decision that they now are like, ooh, I wish I could take it back. Yeah, three three different routes I will describe here. And please remind me to say to tell you something about love and regret. Okay. okay. Uh, later on. So one of them, one group is of, of women who said, I didn't want to become a mother. I didn't want it. I it was I knew from the outset it was not for me. But I was under uh, very heavy pressures from the husband, the family, and I said to myself, well, what the heck, I will, uh-huh. I will do it. <laughs> Everybody uh, does it, so I, I will do it also. And only later on, they found out that they were right. <laughs> it was not for them, yeah. And the second group is of women who, who really laughed when I asked them, do you remember when you knew that you want to be a mother? And they laughed because they told me, I don't know if I wanted it. I never had a chance to stop for a second and to think about it. It was the automatic or the natural uh-huh. way. You get married, you do, you have children. I cannot recall in retrospect whether I wanted it or not. So that was the second group. And the third group, truly wanted to become mothers and they had a lot of wishes and dreams. They thought it will make their lives better. Uh, it will change it for the best. And then they found out that was not the case, that it made things worse. What about love and regret? <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to say this, this was really interesting for me to listen to them saying almost each and every one of them, something like, I love my children. I love my children. I hate being their mother. And so many people cannot understand this combination of love and regret. And I can understand it perfectly. They are saying the children are human beings, separated human beings. They are great people. Uh I, I, just don't want to be in a certain position in my relationship with them. Motherhood is a relationship. It's not a role. It's not a job. It's a subjective, intersubjective relationship. And they are saying, I don't want to be in this position. It's like when people maybe can, people can understand it when you break from a romantic partner and you say, I love this person. I don't have one bad word to say about him or her. Uh-huh. I just want to don't want to be in a romantic relationship with this person. But I love him or her. Uh-huh. They're great. Great people. So I guess this kind of relates, but it was so interesting to see you write about consent and will and how that applies to motherhood 
and rape as well. So if you could kind of explain that. Yeah, one of the women who participated in my study, she related to it as uh, rape and as if she did it to herself. I'm um, I'm in one of the rape crisis center here in Israel for the last uh, 19 years, and I, you know, I'm in, in the hotline. I talk to women, uh-huh. talk and listen to women in, in a hotline here in Israel. Women who experience sexual assault. So I know this material upside down, inside out, and and when she described it as feeling a blame, uh, like guilt that she did it to herself and related to it as rape, I thought that I must go to some of the theorization about sexuality. There is something in relation here. And we make a a differentiation between giving consent to something and truly want it. Right. And we all of us know, or many of us know, that sometimes we were involved in a sexual act Uh, when we gave our consent, but we didn't really want it to happen. We gave our consent from different reasons, but if we look inside, we know that we didn't really want to do it. So I think that there are women who become mothers against their will, but with their consent. You know, consent is something that you uh, relate to it from the outside. Someone is suggesting something and you can uh, consent to it or not. Also, our consent is constructed in a certain social context, of course. Uh So that there are women who are under pressure these days in the United States can't have abortions. Right. and, And they must do it, but they didn't really want to be mothers. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. So... Okay, let's talk a little bit about, like I said, I'm at the age where I'm going to have to make this decision and I feel like I'm going to choose no. (laughs) And you've also chosen not to be a mother. I mean, I never had a strong urge. I at different points thought maybe I will or like maybe it will come to me later or, you know, like I understand the being socialized part of it because people also told me like, well, you'll, when you're older, you know, you'll want to or whatever. But the older that I get, the more dug in I actually feel to this position where I'm like, when you talk about 
the women loving their kids and thinking that, you know, like, yes, of course they should exist, but also not wanting to be their mother. I mean, that's like my, my greatest fear is if I would decide to do it and then feel like that. So how did you land on your decision? And was there a lot that you could relate to when you were talking to these women? First, I want to say that I knew since I was 16 that I will not be a mother. I, it was very clear to me and it stayed like it for many years until these days. <laughs> right. uh, I'm 46, uh, 30 years has passed uh, and I still feel the same about it. For me, it's a really silent knowing. I don't have like uh, noises around it. For me, I, I know it, it is the right decision for me. I came back home and I said, I will not get married and I will not have children. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was uh, really clear for me. And I can't really share with you uh, getting to this decision because it was not a decision. It was a kind of a knowing. Mm -hmm. And it's really difficult to understand I, this is who I am. And I have a sort, certain knowing that if I would have become a mother, I probably would have interviewed myself about regretting it. It's not for me, just not for me. It's right. not for me. And I, for me also at the age of 16, it was quite logic that we are different and that there are women who the motherhood suits them and others that don't. And it's, it doesn't seem strange for me. For me, it's really strange that society doesn't understand it, that we are different and we need to have a diversity and we are not the same just because we have the same biological organs. But there is a spectrum, you know, the, I, I, I'm at the end of it, mm -hmm. just uh, as women who are certain, sometimes also from a young age that they will surely be mothers and they also love being mothers. And in the middle, there are many women who don't really know and this is why since 2015, I'm moderating groups for women who are uncertain whether they oh, want really? to become mothers or not. Yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah. I'm teaching a lot at universities and colleges in, here in Israel. So unfortunately, I don't have lots of time to do it. But once a year, I'm conducting a group. We are meeting for 10 weeks, two hours a week, and we just talk about the uncertainty. I have some uh, themes that I'm bringing up front and we talk about it and it's really important for them to listen to other women who experience uh, uncertainty about becoming mothers or not. And I already uh, moderated, I think, seven or eight groups along these years. Yeah. I, I can also send you uh, an, an article that was just published about it that I wrote with uh, two of my colleagues. Oh, I'd love to see that. Yeah. Do the women come back to you later and, and say like, you know, that had an impact on my decision making or whatever? Yeah, I'm still in contacting with uh, several of them. Some of them became mothers. Some of them understood that they don't want to be mothers and others are still relating to themselves as uncertain. I will tell you two more interesting things. In order to write this article, I approached uh, the women who uh, participated in my first group in 2015. And I approached them two years ago and I asked, how do you define yourself today? What is going on? What's the situation? 
So three of the 10 women who participated became mothers. Uh And two of them told me, two of the mothers told me, I'm still defining myself as uncertain. (gasps) So it's not something that it's on off. It's, you know, so it was so interesting to understand that women have such a complex attitudes and emotions towards motherhood and they don't regret it but they still define themselves as uncertain. And in this group of uncertainty, there are different kinds of uncertainty because there are women who are saying, well, I don't know if I want to be a mother or not. Mm -hmm. And there are women who are saying, I know that I don't want to be a mother, but I still feel uncertain whether I will become a mother or not. Uh, because of the pressure, because of the prizes. But inside, I know that I don't want, but I'm still deliberating it's whether to become mother. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. Um, Okay, so like, ideally, we change the conversation a little bit so that it's not the worst thing in the world to admit that you regret it and, you know, that you can talk openly about it and also people can see it as a viable path that, like, they don't have to choose it. So in what ways do you think, like, societally we need to change that conversation? First, I will say I don't glorify regretting motherhood. I, I don't want to live in a world in a few years that it will be some kind of, you know, bon, you know, do you have like the word bon ton, chic, yeah. Like a kind of a trend, I, I regret it or something. <laughs> I was really afraid of publishing my study because, you know, once you publish it, you don't have any control about what right. people will make out of it. And if I have this stage to say something, that I would like to say that this is not the direction that I'm pointing to. I don't want that women will feel ashamed of it or guilty, or hate themselves, or do something to themselves, but I'm not glorifying it. I just want to describe what is happening, not to say, do it, feel it, you know? It's it's two different things. Well, I don't think it's a good, desirable emotion, so I don't know if we're in too much... (laughs) You know, but you know that the discourse did change these years that women do talk more about the difficulties and that is very good. But I don't want to, to, I don't want to be uh, something that is uh, shallow, shallow. Totally. Well, I think the benefit of talking about, or like, of course, for the people that are experiencing it, it's destigmatizing and, you know, relieve some of the shame, but it also allows people who haven't made the decision yet to have a more full view of how it could go that's maybe counter to the vision that they're being fed. Exactly. We can't make a decision if we are being told only half of the truth. It's not fair. It's not just, you know, none of us can know what is going to happen. I, I always say that becoming a mother is kind of a gamble. Uh And that's okay because it's getting into a relationship with a person who is unknown. You don't know who the person is. And that is okay. And some people might want to make this gamble. That's okay. But don't promise us that this is a certain gamble. This is a lie. Uh And uh, I think that knowing ourselves and uh, 
uh, being the owners of our decisions and dreams and abilities and disabilities. This is something that is needed. It's crucial for women. And so you've you've made this life where you seem like you're thriving and you don't have kids and that's been an active decision for you. So now are there other people like you in your life and how did you find them? Yeah, that's a good question because something felt really harmonic and natural. You know, uh, there are people that I love in my life and I can only bring into my life people who are not... We're not judgmental. It's not uh, important whether they are parents or not. That's not the issue. It's the attitude. It's the point of view. Uh, I want people around me who are feminist, political, can listen even if they don't agree. And these are the the things that are important to me, not the, not the familial status. This is not important for me. It can be anyone. Totally. I love that. And then one more thing that I found striking or interesting in your book is just like how much privilege plays into being able to say no, that you don't want to make this decision. Um, If you could kind of speak to that a little bit. Yeah, that's a very important question because there is a wrong thing about people who don't want to be parents that they are uh, all the time from the hegemonic social group, Uh, white, middle class, I have an academic education, live in big cities and things like that. And what I want to claim is that people who don't want to be parents might be in all social groups, in all social groups. The difference is that not all of us can express the unwillingness to become parents and not all of us can live as non-parents. But uh, knowing might exist in all social groups. In Israel, I met women who are Jewish, not Jewish, Arabic, Bedouin, Druze, you know, Ashkenazi, Mizrahi, I don't know if you know the difference. Uh, It's a kind of ethnic, different ethnic groups uh, have an academic education, don't have an academic education, live outside the cities, in the city, everything. And also there are women in India and there are women I meet, I met women from different countries who are not only what is called uh, first world or not only uh, Western societies, but there is a privilege in the possibility to, to say it out loud and to live as such. And women from different social groups might pay different prizes. It depends on the if the, their surroundings is more religious, less religious, political uh, attitudes. Because of course there are also black women who don't want to be mothers, of course, but for many of them it might be different because it's different when society, by definition, don't want you to have many children. Uh. In relation to white women, where society, you know, want us to breed. So maybe, maybe, and I, I, I'm saying it because I heard some Black women talking about it, that for them, they have a really deep conversation with it of not wanting to be mothers, asking themselves if they are now uh, making a decision that fulfilling society's wishes. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. Really complicated for many of us in relation to our 
um, you know, ethnic backgrounds, racism, so many aspects. Yeah. So obviously, I mean, I don't know how it is in Israel, but in the United States, it's not like you get a welcome package when you have a baby. Like we don't make it that easy (laughs) on mothers. Is there anything you've learned in your research about ways we could make it easier for the people that are maybe would be more ambivalent if it wasn't so hard? I think many societies, it, it was not me who said it. It was uh, it's like a writer, Germaine Greer. She's a kind of, I think, French philosopher who said that many societies love and want childbirth, but they don't actually love children or mothers. So women are being pushed towards giving birth, but then nobody is waiting with this package who is <laughs> making it easy on them to take care of the children, especially if you are poor, especially if you don't have a a safe housing. So uh, we are being pushed into it and then many of us are being neglected by society. Yeah. So this is uh, one thing. And I think that we are reached a point where many women are saying, no, no more, no more. It's like game is over. We cannot do it all. We cannot have it all. And you cannot expect us to continue of pretending that it's okay. It's not okay. Uh, If uh, societies want us to become mothers, then take care of us. You know, patriarchy is a really bad father. (laughs) Uh, We are not being taken care of (laughs) very well. If you want us to have children, take care of us as well. Oh, that's wonderful. (laughs) Thank you so much. This is just really great to talk to you. Thank you, Courtney, so much. Thanks again to Orna for your incredible research and bringing this conversation to light. I had a great time talking about regretting motherhood with you. And hopefully the more we talk about this, the fewer people have to feel that way. Orna teaches a whole course on this topic. It lasts a full semester and she said she still doesn't have time to say everything she wants. So consider this convo a preview and I highly recommend getting a copy of her book. Again, it's called Regretting Motherhood. If this conversation at all piqued your interest, obviously it's about motherhood, but it applies to anyone who's even thinking about parenthood or is interested in feminist theory or just cares about living in an open and equitable society. That is it for this week. Just a little housekeeping. To stay up on our episodes, make sure you're following us on your favorite podcast player. Just look down right now. Are you following us? Okay, great. Otherwise, hit that follow button and subscribe. And we also like to stay in touch in between episodes via Substack. So make sure you're subscribed to our newsletter at privatepartsunknown.substack.com. The link is in the episode description. And follow the show at Private Parts Unknown on Instagram and Private Parts Un on Twitter. Shout out to Amy Rausch for that bomb-ass theme music. For more info about Amy and her music, check out amyrausch.com. That's Amy, R-A-A-S-C-H dot com. This episode was mixed by Mike Castaneda of Plastic Audio. I love you, Mike. 
And after enjoying this unregrettable content, <laughs> can we ask you for a quick favor? Just go to ratethispodcast.com slash private and give us a five-star rating and review. And I've been holding down the fort lately, so I would really appreciate if you shot me a quick rating and review and let me know that you appreciate these eps. It helps other people find the show and it makes me feel awesome. <laughs> so again, for my self-esteem, will you go to ratethispodcast.com slash private? Or if you're listening on Spotify, you just go to the upper left-hand corner of our page. You click the little star button and then just click all five stars. Wow, that was so easy. (laughs) Until next time, I am wishing you lots of horniness and happiness and babies if you want them and no babies if you don't. Saluting you, privates. Bye.